I want to find out uh, how many people in here are willing this morning to sell all that they have in exchange for what's in this box. Is there anybody? <laughs> Kim, we had, there's one in every crowd. There was somebody in the first one too. Kim is willing to take this deal right now, sight unseen. I love it. Uh, how many of us are willing, would be willing, you know, our, our clothes, uh, our possessions, our tchotchkes, those uh, intermediate school things that we haven't gotten rid of, right? Like the, our car, uh, our home, our property, our second home in Aspen. Liquidate all of that for what's in this box. Would you be willing to do that? And so what it comes down to, it's a question of, of kind of two things, right? It's, it's perceived value. I would let you look in the box if you were going to do it, right? Do you perceive this to be worth it? Do you perceive it to be a good deal in comparison with what you would have to spend? And then in another level is actual value. Is it really worth it, right? It might look like it's worth it, but is it truly worth it? There could be a lottery ticket in here, right? And so at one level, <laughs> if it's just a lottery ticket, it's probably not worth it. If, if, if it's one of the winning Powerball tickets and it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, then you would perceive that to be more valuable than what you're exchanging for it, right? I'll, I'll liquidate all this stuff. I'll take that. That sounds better, right? But then there's, there's real value, right? There's perceived value and there's real value. And so, well, what we've seen over and over again, with there's, there's a large percentage of lottery winners who years down the road would say, I would have rather not have won the lottery. <laughs> it ruined my life. It wrecked friendships and relationships that I thought were valuable. It, it threw everything out of, and if I had it to do all over again, I would have never even played, right? So, so there, there's, a, there's a real value, perceived value. Now, most of you guys, if you're like me, you're sitting out there like, yeah, that happens to some people, but I think I could handle it, right? <laughs> I could handle the pressure of winning millions and millions of dollars, right? Um, well, this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, what what would we be willing to exchange everything that we have in our life, all of our possessions, everything? What would we be willing to, to get rid of all of that in exchange for what? Is there anything that's worth that? That's what Jesus is going to talk about today in Matthew chapter 13 in our, as we continue in this study of Jesus' parables. And um, so let's pray and uh, let's ask God to, to speak into our hearts today. Father, we come to your word and we come with a desire to know you and to grow in our knowledge and to... Uh, uh, to come to experience you more, to know more about you. Uh, God, we don't want to just know more in our head, but we want our hearts to change, and we want the, that heart change to lead to actual life change, that we would live our lives differently, more in accord with who you are uh, and your will, uh, because we know that your ways are the best ways. Uh, you've proven yourself. And so, God, speak to us where our hearts are hard, soften them, uh, where we need to be challenged and, and convicted, convict us. Where we need to be encouraged, encourage us. Uh, help us to take away from your word, God, exactly what you would desire uh, to implant into us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you turn to Matthew chapter 13, uh, and we're going to look at verses 44 through 46 today. Just a, a small, small section of Scripture, but a really powerful and pointed piece of Scripture. It'll be up on the screen here for you if you don't have your Bible with you today. Um, but there's free Bibles all over the place in this building, so there's really no excuse not to have a Bible, right? And probably on your phone. So, uh, Verse 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. There's two parables here. Uh, They're linked together with this word again that lets us know that they kind of uh, are two different angles of looking at the same truth. And as we've been looking at in this series, when Jesus instructs and teaches through a parable, it's it's a unique way of communicating in which he's trying to drive home one really clear point uh, in everyday language that people can understand that, that makes sense. Not many of us know pearl merchants, right? <laughs> That's not something we're familiar with, but in, in this time and in this place, that would not have seemed like a strange thing. And, and the idea of finding a treasure in the field would not have seemed uh, odd or unusual. And so the question is, what is the, the singular point that Jesus is driving at in these parables? I'll throw it up on the screen here. One commentator put it this way, and I thought this was a pretty good a pretty good explanation. Uh, He says that the point of these is the kingdom of God is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing anything to gain it. The kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing anything to gain it. And most of you are probably thinking, yeah, that's what I thought it meant too. (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to say. And the challenge here is that this is such a big, broad truth that we can just get lost in it, man. It's easy to amen that, right? Like, amen, brother. There's nothing holding me back. I surrender all to Jesus. I'm going to sing that 27 times if that's what the band does, right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to proclaim it, right? But, but is it getting under our skin? Is it getting down into the everyday life that we live? Is it making a difference there? Because uh, if it's not, then it's just a theological idea that doesn't really have any impact into our life. But if it's true, it should impact every, <clears throat> every bit of our being. Um, now, just uh, to prevent some sidetracks or maybe to create some, possibly, right? But uh, uh, when we come to a parable, we don't want to get sidetracked in, in the side details. It's important to see that he's telling these to drive us to a specific point. And so it would be easy to get hung up on the fact of like, man, was this ethical of this guy? He found this treasure. Uh, it wasn't his. He hid it. He didn't tell anybody else about it. Does that mean that I'm not supposed to tell people about the kingdom of God? Uh, does this mean that I could buy the kingdom? Is there an amount of money that I could use to buy the kingdom? Right? Uh, don't allow yourself to get on any of those sidetracks, and that's where uh, commentators and even pastors can get going down a wrong direction when we come to a parable and try and read a meaning into it that's not there, and you end up over here when the clear meaning is right here. It's down the center, right? So, so um, in this day and age, in, the, in, in this time, there weren't banks and security deposit vaults and these sorts of things, and so if you had accumulated wealth, you would have it in the form of land or you'd have it in the form of flocks, or if you had some material things, you would just have to find some good place to hide it, right? In your home or in your, in your tent or, or out in the field, somewhere that you thought it was safe, right? And so they would do that, uh, but from time to time, somebody would, would hide a treasure in a field, and then they would go off on a business trip, and they would die at sea, or something would happen, and all of a sudden, this treasure is left buried in a field, and nobody knows about it. There's nobody to claim it. It's like unclaimed freight. It's just sitting out there, and so the rule of the day was kind of finders keepers, right? <laughs> you find it, you get to keep it. If you happen to find a treasure, uh, but there was one exception. If you were a hired worker, and you were working in a field, and you came across something like that, and you dug it out, and you pulled it forth, then you were responsible to give it to the rightful owner of the field. And so what they, they speculate about here is, is this scenario is maybe somebody who's there who's tilling the field that he doesn't own. So he's probably a hired worker, and, and he comes across, he finds this treasure, but he's very careful about it. He doesn't pull it out. He leaves it there. He recovers it. And then he goes off and he sells everything that he has to buy it. Is this ethically right? 
I don't know. It's not the point of the parable, right? So we can dig into that at a different time. That wasn't, that's not what we're getting out here. What, what, what Jesus wants us to see is this guy, when he saw the value of the treasure, he's like, I will give anything to have this treasure. He wasn't looking for it. He stumbled upon it. Then he tells a parallel parable in which somebody is desperately seeking for the most valuable pearls that he can find, and he comes across one that's more valuable than anything he's ever seen in his life. And so he's willing to sell his whole pearl collection and everything he's got and trade it in for this one valuable pearl. And so the interesting thing is that whether people are, uh, find it by accident, if they stumble upon it, if they're led to it, or whether they're seeking diligently for it, at the end, what really matters is the value of the treasure that they come across. That's what matters. Not how you got to it, not what led you there, but it's the value of the treasure. The real value of the treasure is what really matters. Now, some of you, I know, looking around this room, I know some of your stories. Some of you guys were not looking for Jesus. He came and found you, right? You were doing your own thing. You were off in your own world. You were just doing, doing whatever, and suddenly you came across it, and it was undeniable. And you said, I must have this, right? The, the God revealed himself to you in that way. Others, through pursuits of religion and whatever, from the time you were young, you're like always like, I want to be right with God. I want to amass good works. I want to do things and, so that I'll be acceptable before God. I want to be right with him. And then eventually you came to the truth of the gospel, and it was so disarming and so different than what you— but, but the gospel levels the playing field, right? That's why we can all gather to, together here, different ages and economic situations, all these things, but we can come together on the gospel because the gospel is what unites us together. And in these parables, that's what it does as well. Now let me ask you a question. Uh, I offered up this deal. Please don't shout anybody's name out, right? <laughs> Who would have a hard time— taking the deal that I offered, everything that you own for what's in this box. Who would have the hardest time doing that? Someone with a lot of wealth, right? <laughs> Somebody who's got a lot of stuff. At least externally, we would look at that. Most of us classify ourselves as poor people, right? So we're like, eh, it'd be really hard for a rich guy. It wouldn't be too hard for me. I don't have much, right? That's, that's how we think about it. But the reality is, it's the person who's uh, things have gripped their heart is going to have the hardest time doing this. And so whether you materially have a lot of things and you, or you materially have very little um, isn't as important as what the material things are doing to your heart. There are people who have very little and yet materialism has just grabbed them. <laughs> They're on a mission in life to get more stuff. And the more stuff that they get uh, uh, or the more that they fail, it just drives them harder to get after it. Then there's other people who have a lot of things, but but they hold them loosely. They're just kind of a conduit. Things flow through them, right? And so, so don't look at your neighbor and be like, well, I saw what car you drove up in, so I know you'd have a hard time taking that offer, right? Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't really work that way, right? It's a little more complex than that. But the one whose heart is gripped with materialism is going to have a hard time taking uh, the offer. There's a, there's a clear picture of this in the Bible. If you turn over uh, to Luke 18, so you're in Matthew the next gospel is Mark. The next gospel is Luke. If you turn to Luke chapter 18, uh, we see a picture of this exact thing in Luke 18, verse 18. So Luke chapter 18, verse 18, uh, story that we call the, the rich young ruler, right? It says this, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, right? That's the right question to ask Jesus. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You should probably listen to that part, right? <laughs> She's trying to tell him something here, right? Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Now, Jesus was good, right? Because Jesus was 
God, right? But he wanted to understand from him, hey, why are you calling me good? Because only God's good, right? There's, there's lots of layers of meaning into that. It says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. The rich young man said, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus, I know you said nobody's good, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I've done those things. But yet something in me is telling me that I haven't grabbed the kingdom yet, and so I'm coming to ask you this. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. That's an emotion I haven't yet experienced, the sadness of being extremely rich. If you guys... <laughs> You guys felt that? That is a burden. He's sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, saying that he had become, seeing that he had become sad, he saw how he responded to the invitation. And Jesus said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. He said to him, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Uh, see, this, this rich young man, materialism had grasped his heart. And Jesus was able to identify this in him. And he said, are you willing to give it all up to follow me? He said, no, I can't do that. So you kept all the commandments, but, but maybe, <laughs> maybe you weren't quite as good as you thought you were, right? Um, and I think he was sad because he knew in that moment when Jesus asked him that question, he saw that in his heart that he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to make that exchange. And, and one of the fascinating things is we never hear about him again. We don't know where he went from there, Right? But you ever wonder what would have happened if you would have said yes? What if he would have sold everything and he went to follow Jesus? Would we have read a lot more about him? Would he have shown up in the book of Acts? Would he have been used by God in some powerful way? We'll never know. And that's how it is in our own lives. Sometimes when we say no to God, when we withhold something from him, we just don't know what we missed out on. We don't know what would have been if we had been obedient. We settle for the lesser. Like Brian shared for a couple, a couple weeks ago. We don't know, right? If, if, if We don't know what we're missing out on when we say no to God, when we, when we choose disobedience. Well, here's a fascinating thing. In, in Luke 19, the very next chapter, there's another encounter that has a, an eerie similarity uh, to this encounter. And, it, and it's fascinating to see how the two go together. If the rich young ruler was the one who was the, the pearl merchant, the one that was seeking after the kingdom and going after it and trying to attain it and trying to, to get it in every way, uh, there was another guy named Zacchaeus who was, who was the guy that was just wandering around in the field who wasn't looking for the kingdom at all, right? Verse, uh, cha Luke chapter 19, verse 1 says this, He entered Jericho, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He's just passing through. Just going through, right? <laughs> Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was. He wasn't seeking Jesus to follow him. He was just trying to figure out who he was. I'm hearing a lot about this Jesus. I want to try and figure out who he is, right? But on account of the crowd, he couldn't see him because he was small in stature. 
Now, I was related to Zacchaeus. And unfortunately, not because of the wealth, right? (laughs) He's short. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Probably the only time anybody ever looked up at Zacchaeus, right? (laughs) Jesus looked up at him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. To one, he says, come and follow me, and you'll earn treasure in heaven, and he walks away sadly. To this one, he just says, hey, get out of that tree and make some dinner for me. And he's like, yeah, totally, I'm in, right? When they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, hey, half's pretty good, but we actually have a rule around here. You got to give it all. (laughs) So if you're not going to give it, right? Is that what Jesus said? That's not what he said. Jesus didn't say, hey, I appreciate that you want to give half to the poor, but the standard is everything. And if you're not willing to do that, that's not what Jesus said, right? What did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, isn't that fascinating? Why did Jesus have a different standard for one than the other? Why did he require something different of, of one than the other? Well, look around the room, and what you'll see is a story of, of Jesus requiring different things of different people at different times and in different ways for different purposes that he's accomplishing in your life. Some have experienced loss in one way, some in another way. Some have battled trials and and illness and difficulty in one way and some in another way. Some have had one financial condition their whole life. Some have had another. But here's the interesting thing. If Jesus had said to Zacchaeus, hey, that's, your heart's in the right place, but how about this? How about you sell it all and you come and follow me? You think Zacchaeus would have taken that deal? I think he would have, right? (laughs) I think Zacchaeus would have been like, yeah, Lord, I'm in. He had a willingness. He would have been willing to give it all if Jesus had required that of him. On the flip side, how about if Jesus had gone to the rich young man and he'd said, hey, okay, I see you didn't take the offer of selling everything. How about if you just sell half of it? What if you sell half of your kingdom? Would you be willing to do that? Do you think the rich young man would have done that deal? I don't think he would have taken it. (laughs) I think material had, had gripped his heart so much that he was completely unwilling And so it's really not so much uh, tied to what Jesus requires of us. Oh, man, God called that person to be a martyr. They must have really been willing to give it all. But that person lived a life that looked pretty comfortable from the outside. Man, they they must have been lower class, right? No, it's not that. It's it's inside. It's what are we willing to do? If Jesus comes and requires it of us, are we willing to give it? And so the question, the application question is this, and there's kind of two ways to look at it. Number one, what is it that you are unwilling to give up in your life? What is it that you're just not willing to to let go of? You say, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you ask of me. But if you ask me for that, the answer is no. Whatever that is, is your idol. That's your functional Savior. That's that's the the one that's sitting on the throne of of glory in your life, right? Say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, but do not call me to be a missionary overseas. I won't do it. I'm not going to do it, right? (laughs) Your personal comfort... And, and, and safety has, has become the God of your life over the rightful God. So Jesus, you know, I, I'll follow you, I'll do whatever, but you've got to promise me that my, 
My family has protection. No difficulty, no trials, no struggles, no illness. Like, you can't let any of that happen to us. If any of that happens to us, I'm out, right? Then you put something else in the throne of your life. The flip side, another way to look at it, what, what is it that you are willing to give everything for? Super Bowl Sunday, right? We could probably scare up some people in this town that would give everything for an Eagles championship, right? They would, they would literally say, I will sell my home. My, I'll give it all, right? I don't think we got anybody in the room like that, but maybe. <laughs> but there might be something else. You say, man, I would give everything. Is it fame? Is it recognition? Is it that one person's uh, approval? Is it uh, the, the love relationship in your life, whether it's a spouse or a child or a parent or whatever? If that person would just love me, that would make, I would give everything for that. If you've done that, then you've made that person into your functional savior, that they're the, sitting on the idol. And the problem is that Nobody can bear the weight of being God in your life. Your kids can't bear the weight of being your God. If your kids recognize, man, I am the center of my parents' universe, that scares me to death because I'm going to let them down, right? <laughs> it's way too much pressure. Your spouse can't handle that pressure. Your friends can't handle that pressure. Your dog can't handle that pressure, right? <laughs> like whatever, whatever you try and put in God's place can't handle the position of God. This is like a mom who says, who insists, hey, when we ride in the car, I don't trust that child's safety seat. I'm going to hold my infant in my arms because I don't trust that. I trust myself. But yet crash tests show that no human has the strength to hold in the, in the impact of a crash could, could hold on to the, the baby, right? No matter how much that mom professes love, when there was a crash, the baby would be injured, right? And that's what we're like when we try and hold on to something saying, God, I'm not giving it to you. This is mine. I'm going to hang on to it. If we would just realize that, that, that he has arms that will never let go of us, that his strength surpasses our strength. The best thing that we can do to love our kids, if we want to love our kids as much as possible, put them in God's hands. Our parents, our, our, our family, our lives, our career, whatever it is, put it in God's hands. He's the only one who's strong enough to hold on to it. We see this with Abraham and Isaac in, in, in Scripture, right? That, that Abraham uh, was promised by God, hey, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And, and according to Abraham's perspective, it took him a while to fulfill that promise. He tried to shortcut it a couple different ways and stuff, and then God finally gave him his son Isaac, and he loved Isaac. And there was a danger of Isaac becoming an idol to Abraham. And so God needed to, to show Abraham something. So he called Abraham and he said, hey, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him. And in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham believed that God was so powerful, he said, even if God calls me to sacrifice Isaac, I believe that God will raise him from the dead. Because I believe that, that God has given me and he's made this promise and I know he's going to fulfill it. It's, it's a tough passage, right? It is a tough passage. But God was able to do this, right? What he didn't require of Abraham, he required of himself. He took his son, his only son, who he loved, and he sacrificed him for himself, for, for us. Abraham took his son up to the altar, but then God provided a substitute. When Jesus went to the cross, he was the substitute. He went there in our place for you and for me. He hung on the cross and he died for our sins. That God took this upon himself. A few years ago, uh, there was a guy named Aaron Ralston. Uh, and he was hiking, and uh, he dislodged a boulder, and it trapped his hand in a canyon. Do you guys remember this story? They made a movie, 127 Hours, about it. Uh, they wrote a book, and um, 
and so he's he's trapped, and uh, so eventually, most of you know the story, he ended up amputating his own arm so that he could escape. And so I think there's a real parallel between that and, and what we're talking about here this morning. Nobody here is going to volunteer to give up their arm, right? Anybody want to give up their arm this morning, right? Like, nobody's going to, yeah, that's, that's my thing. I like that. If you do, <laughs> we need to have a talk, right? So what took him to that point? I'm sure he never would have said that before that, right? He didn't go into that weekend and be like, man, I'd like to get my arm up this weekend, right? And so I've often thought about that, like, man, I just wouldn't get to the point where I would, I would use a, a, a knife, a, a dull, like, uh, Leatherman knife to, to cut my own arm off, right? What took him to that point? And I won't go through the gory details because I was, I was running up by Trina this morning and she said it kind of turned her stomach. So <laughs> I won't go through all the, the gory details, but you can read it on Wikipedia or some other reliable source. But essentially what happened is this. He went out there. Nobody knew where he was and he was trapped for five days. He ate the little, uh, he had a couple burritos with him. I like a guy that goes hiking with burritos, right? Like what kind of, that's my kind of dude. He had a couple burritos. He ate those. He drank the little bit of water he had. And after five days, he had just, uh, and he had come to realize, like, hey, I'm going to cut my arm off. But he came to the point where he realized, I can't get through the bone. I'm, this knife is not going to cut through my bones. And so he came to the point of just saying, like, I'm going to die here. So he carved his name into the rock. He carved his date of birth and his supposed date of death. And he was ready to go. He's like, I'm done. And he thought he was going to die overnight, but the next morning he was still alive and suddenly had this epiphany that if he broke his arm, then he'd be able to cut through it. And we think about that and we're like, oh, right? But for him, it was a moment of joy because he said, I will joyfully break my arm and sacrifice it so that I can live. Have you had that moment of epiphany with the gospel where you say, wow, all the stuff I've been pursuing, everything I've been trying to do to keep myself alive is not going to work. And Jesus provides the only way. And I, with joy, will give up everything that I've pursued and everything that I have to take up what Jesus offers me freely. Here's the cool thing. We know that the treasure has incredible real value, not just perceived value, but real value, because Jesus demonstrated that for us. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Romans chapter 8, Nick. Um, Romans 8, verse 31 through to 39. Listen to what it says. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What did he do? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see... The king gave up the kingdom for us. The king was willing to give up the kingdom for us. If he was willing to spend everything for us, then we should be willing to give everything for the kingdom. He's already paved the way. He's already shown us. He's not asking us to do something that he hasn't done himself. And here's the encouragement that we get from that. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure 
that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, what I have in the box here is the one thing that can separate us from the kingdom. Nothing. (laughs) There's nothing that can separate us from the kingdom once we've obtained it. If you're here today, and you're like, man, that sounds good, but I have not experienced that, I want to encourage you that today is the day that, that Jesus is calling you. He's speaking to you through Scripture and saying, forsake all that you've pursued, everything that you valued, everything that you thought was worthful, worthwhile, and trade it all in for the one thing that is of actual true value. Today's the day that you can lay hold of something that will never be taken away from you. Death, persecution, nothing can separate us from Christ once we've received him. If you're here and you follow Jesus, I want you to ask him honestly, Lord, is there something that I've allowed to take your rightful place on the throne of my heart? And if so, I repent and I confess. I ask for your uh, gift of forgiveness. I ask for the gift of repentance. I can't even repent well on my own. Lord, I need you to give me the ability to repent and to place you in the rightful place as king of my life because I know that that's how I can live a life of meaning and true purpose. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift that you've given to us. The gift of infinite value. The the one thing that we would give everything to have is the one thing that you give to us without cost. It's free to us, but it costs your son his life. It's of an infinite value, and I just pray, Lord, that we would view it as such, that we would perceive the true value of the cross, and that we would be willing to sacrifice it all for you, our God. Not only in the big dramatic things, God, not willing just to lay our life down, but willing to bear our cross daily, to do the small things, uh, the, the small steps of obedience, to love our neighbor as you've loved us, to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it, to be an encourager, to be the hands and feet of Christ to those around us, that we would do all the little things that would demonstrate how you've gotten a hold of our heart. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.